This is Real Talk from Denver 7 and CPR News. Thousands of children in the U.S. are in and out of foster care, and many don't find the homes they need by the time they age out. Now, Colorado is working to help empower these kids and help them find homes that will support them. This week, we're having a Real Talk on foster care in Colorado. How organizations are focusing on helping those aging out of the system and getting more foster parents to give them the home they deserve. Welcome to Real Talk with Denver 7 and CPR News. I'm Denver 7's Micah Smith. And I'm Colorado Public Radio's Nathan Heffel. Each week in a partnership between Denver 7 and CPR News, we'll have a real talk about issues impacting underrepresented people across Colorado. And today we're talking about foster care. Why families choose to foster, what kids experience in the system, and what happens to teens who age out of it. On any given day, there are about 3,700 kids in foster care in Colorado, according to Colorado's Department of Human Services. However, according to the federal government, there are about 400,000 kids in foster care nationwide. And recently, a nationwide foster care conference was held right here in Colorado to discuss how to provide support to foster teens who are preparing to enter adulthood. 21-year-old Maddie Noyce-Lang is in Broomfield for a national foster care think tank. Like expertise strictly in Colorado. My foster agency was very, very toxic to me. They didn't like that I was not Christian, not that I was LGBTQ, that I wasn't conforming to their standards. While battling childhood cancer by chance. Maddie found a loving adoptive family, but knows that's not the case for everyone. Alarming rates of homelessness, lack of employment, um, involvement in the justice system. Ashley Brown, the founder of Selfless Love Foundation, which organized the think tank, says those are the results when kids aging out of foster care don't get the support they need. What's really special about the think tank is we have 28 states that have come together to improve outcomes for youth that are impacted by care, um, create best policies, and um, coming up with solutions like providing permanent connections for youth before they age out of foster care. I think the first thing that we need to do is what Selfless Love is doing here today, bringing the voice of those with lived experience. Lynn Johnson has been in the social work world for 40 years, and she says every year, 20,000 kids in the U.S. age out of foster care. When I was working in a human service department, 70% of the time my staff spent was on paperwork. The 30% was looking kids in the eyes, seeing their faces, not their cases. I think we need to work on regulation, streamline the system, and care about the kids more, spend more time with those kids. Maddie says the adults who truly listened help change their life. Maddie, what would you tell kids that are currently in foster care right now that are feeling just hopeless? Advocate for yourself. Reporting in Broomfield. Also pursue, pursue your dreams. Micah Smith, Denver 7. And Maddie is actually a member of LEAP, or the Lived Experts Action Panel, through the Colorado Office of the Child's Representative. The purpose of LEAP is to provide young adults with opportunities to share their lived experience with foster care policymakers. And we have a few more members of LEAP joining us here today to go in depth about their lived experience and advocacy work. Today, Elizabeth Arietta and Naomi Davis, thank you so much for joining us on Real Talk. So, Elizabeth, I want to start with you. You started your foster career, your foster care journey at 12 years old. What was your understanding of what foster care was going to be at that age? Um, I 
didn't know much. I didn't exactly ask much because I expected my case to close pretty soon. My first um, court day, I remember asking my GAL, how long do these cases usually last? Um, she said that it ranges case by case, but the longest that she has had was like a four to five year case. Mm. And in my head, I said, oh, mine won't take that long. And um, eight, seven, maybe almost nine years later, and you know, we're still here. Yeah. I know this is a big question, but what was that time like? Eight, nine years experiencing foster care is, is quite a long time. I think the toughest thing for me was um, ha not having that family setting. Um, at some point towards the beginning, seeking for the love of a family, I remember I did want to be adopted um, when I knew I wasn't really going to go home. Um, but I went from placement to placement in less than six months. So every six months or under six months, I would move placements. And it wasn't even necessarily that I did something. It was just the placement no longer wanted me or things weren't working out. So I think that was the hardest thing for me was not having that love from a family setting. Yeah. And, and Naomi, it, it seems almost as if for that there's this, you don't get to settle down. You just, you just don't know what's going to happen. You're going to be the next, the next home or the next incident. Um, you've wanted to show that, that the adversity you faced can be turned into something good. Can you talk a little bit about that for me? Yeah, I think that every kid in the system has a story, right? And it, and it varies what that story is, but at the end of the day, you do have to be resilient. And I think foster kids hear that a lot, that you're so resilient and I can't believe you, you're here today. But at the end of the day, it comes from survival and it comes from this idea that it's sink or swim, right? So you can either get lost in what you've been through and it can weigh you down and you can not know what's next, or you can try to power through, you can try to find people in your life. Even if you don't have that, that family love and that family setting, you can... Like for me, it was teachers. I had a lot of really great teachers that made a huge impact on my life, right? And you, you kind of learn to forge those relationships that are missing from that parental or sibling relationship. Um, so I think finding those relationships, using that as motivation instead of as a reason that you can't go forward. Yeah. And I'm thinking, you know, we just heard faces, not cases, and how much paperwork the people in the foster care system have to do, and they're doing that when they really should be saying, hey, how are you? Right. And, and, you know, having foster kids just have to say, I have to just do this myself. I have to stand up and be an advocate for myself. Did you either of you feel that you had to be your own advocates? I didn't um, for a good majority of the part because I fortunately had an awesome GAL who. Um, Guardian ad litem? Yes. Yeah. And that's um, someone who represents you kind of in the system, right? Yes. Yeah. Yes. Um, she, she became more than just my attorney in this case, and she's still my counsel for you. She's still my attorney in my foster youth and transition program. Um, but she knew how to do her job without making us, making me feel like I'm just another case or mm. another job. And so our relationship grew to her knowing exactly when I was upset or, you know, whatever emotion I was feeling, I knew exactly like I could talk to her if I had an issue with something. So I didn't necessarily have a problem with advocating for myself because I trusted her and she did it for me. Um, at some point, even when I got older, she still helped me with it because it's scary for me sometimes to speak up about something. But I knew if I talked to her, she would help me do it. 
And I just want to say, Elizabeth and Naomi, you're both incredible young women. You are working toward your dreams. Um, Naomi, I know you are going to DU on a full ride. It's yeah. just incredible. Elizabeth, you're about to t attend MSU Denver. Those are really high achievements, despite so many gaps in the system. Before we go, would you talk about some of the gaps you'd like policymakers to address immediately? Yeah, I, um, I actually did an internship in D.C. this summer that was with the Congressional Coalition on Adoption Institute and some big policy recommendations that I made to Congress there was that I think a problem with instability is that foster parents are overwhelmed and they don't get adequate training and each training standard is different state by state. So I think one of the biggest gaps is that each state gets to decide how they handle the foster care system, which can mean, right, California can give youth and care free education where Colorado just started that but is far behind and there's many states that don't offer that so I think a big gap is that different states offer different things to youth and care and those create huge gaps in the system just state by state um, I think yeah absolutely yeah. I would say actually giving more support um, I had my GAO help me a lot, but I hear a lot from every other foster care that I know and I hear from Naomi, they didn't have a lot of support when aging out of the system mm -hmm. and I feel like um, foster youth's team need to be more on their case about actually helping them prepare to adulthood, not just pushing them out once they turn 18. Absolutely. More support's needed for our teens. Yes. Well, Naomi and Elizabeth, thank you so much for joining us for this Real Talk. Thank you. Thank you. That was Elizabeth Arietta and Naomi Davis from LEAP, the Lived Experts Action Panel. Coming up with thousands of kids in foster care in Colorado, there aren't enough foster parents to go around. Why the process might seem daunting to some, and how those thinking about it can get involved. This is Real Talk with Denver 7 and CPR News. Welcome back to Real Talk with Denver 7 and CPR News. Today we're having a Real Talk on foster care in Colorado. Colorado needs more foster parents. It's as simple as that. In 2021, more than 390,000 kids were in foster care across the U.S. And as we mentioned earlier, according to Colorado's Department of Human Services last year, over 3,700 children and youth were in foster care here. However, there were just under 3,000 certified foster or kinship families in the state and nearly 20,000 youth age out of the foster care system without any family support at all. So we're joined now by Victoria Aguilar and Latanya Savage with Denver Human Services. Thank you so much for joining us today. Thank you for having us here today. Yes. <laughs> now, full disclosure, I went through the foster certification process about five, well, six years ago now. I have a little little girl we fostered to adopt. So I have a real uh, hands-on look at this. And let me tell you, it was a lengthy process. It was an in-depth process. Um, can, can you kind of start out by saying, hey, a family is interested in becoming a foster parent. What is the time commitment? What is the, what is the process like? Give us kind of that elevator pitch for someone who wants to do this. Sure. I guess my first question, was it worth it? hundred percent. Yeah, hundred percent. Yeah. Okay. Um, well, in Denver and Colorado overall, I would say that we do have a kin first culture. Mm -hmm. What that means is that we really ensure and strive um, to make sure that kids stay connected to their families, stay connected to the communities that they're in first. When that's not possible, then that's when we rely on foster parents to provide temporary care. And so it really is a simple seven-step process. Um, and Latanya can talk a little bit more about the process, but... 
Yes, sure. So um, to become a licensed foster care provider, Denver County, um, if you choose to partner with us, um, there's about seven steps, as she said. Mm -hmm. um, we want you to first join us for a foster care info meeting. Um, we do webinars about three times a month. So you can be in the your own home, yes. the comfort of your own home while you take these webinars. Yes, they are virtual. And so we do meet on Wednesday nights for a couple of hours. And so um, once we get that uh, info meeting, if you choose to move forward, we have an application and interview process. And so once we've received your application, we're going to set you up for what we call a pre-screen interview. And that's our opportunity to really get to know you a little better and really um, hone in on, on why you're really here. You know, what is your goal? Because um, fostering is a commitment. It changes your family, it changes your life, and you're impacting a child in an incredible way. And so we have our uh, pre-screen interview, and once that is completed, um, as a team of professionals, we decide that you're gonna move forward. And so the certification process in itself um, is expected to take between 90 and 120 days. Um, but we offer training at no cost to you. Um, there's about 35 hours of training that you initially do. Um, we take care of um, the training for CPR and first aid. Um, we're gonna set you up with a home study. Um, the home study is a really integral part of this process. Um, it is important that we find um, a good match for the children. Mm -hmm. um, every time a child is moved from one place to another, it is gonna add another level of trauma for them or grief and loss. And so we are looking for good matches for our children. And so um, once that has been completed and um, your home study has been approved. That uh, sets you up for your final approval for foster care yeah, certification. Well, my impossible question is, how do you look at the heart of the person and know it's in the right place, this is the perfect family? Again, I know that that's an impossible question. So my realistic question is, who can foster? Because I think of someone like myself who's not married, I think I have it in my heart to eventually be a foster mother, but I don't have a partner. It's, can someone like me foster? Absolutely. Absolutely. And I think that just like you mentioned, there are many misconceptions within our community yes. overall uh, with people thinking, oh, I need to own a home in order to foster a child. I need to have, um, you know, a, a traditional household. And that's not true. Um, as long as you are able to provide a stable and safe household for children in need, um, you qualify. Mm -hmm. um, you know, you don't have to make you know gobs of money or um it really is just somebody who is willing and able to provide a temporary home for children yeah and, yeah. and i think that the you know latanya i went through the foster to adopt so mm -hmm. my goal was to adopt okay. but there is also a desperate need for people who are like i want to be a foster parent to provide that stable home for as long as it's needed yes. um are you are you seeing the need increase for these foster families Absolutely. Mm -hmm. There is an, a large need. Um, in Denver County, we have about 500 children in our care that we are looking for homes for. Um, these children are placed in kinship homes, and then we're also um, placing the children in foster care homes. Mm -hmm. But there isn't enough. And so we're having to be really creative um, when it comes to placement. All right. Yes. I can't believe this is the end of our conversation because I'm enjoying it so much. But I want to thank both of you so much for being willing to have this very real talk okay. on foster care. Thank yeah. you. All right. Victoria Aguilar and Latanya Savage with Denver Human Services. 
Being a foster kid without a solid support system can be extremely hard, but one group is working to get them the resources they need. Coming up, I'm talking with a nonprofit that's working with kids who've been in the foster care system the longest. This is Real Talk with Denver 7 and CPR News. Welcome back to Real Talk with Denver 7 and CPR News. I'm Colorado Public Radio's Nathan Heffel. And I'm Denver 7's Micah Smith. This week, we're having a Real Talk on foster care. With thousands of kids in the state system, the need for qualified foster parents is growing. So we wanted to take a look at the programs available for those currently in this type of care. Raise the Future is a nonprofit based in Colorado. It offers services for kids currently in foster care to try to find them a permanent family as soon as possible. The group focuses on those who have been in foster care the longest. I visited Raise the Future's headquarters to learn more about their programs. I'm joined by Lucinda Whalen Connolly of Raise the Future. Thanks so much for being here. Thank you for coming. We heard at the beginning of our show um, two uh, uh, women who have aged out of the system. And the big thing that they talked about uh, was the fact that one of them had a lot of support when they were aging out and the other one did not. Mm -hmm. How does Raise the Future uh, kind of fill that void with uh, with these these kids who may have been in foster care for many years? Great. So we our primary clientele is a group of kids who have been in the foster care system for at least 14 months, some of them much, much, much longer. Many of them have moved multiple times, so they've gone from many foster homes. All of them neglect to have a permanent home identified at this point in time. So there has not yet been kin identified where they can live. There's not yet been identified an adoptive family for them. So they're a very unique population. These are not the kids that are babies. They tend to be a little bit older. Um, the majority of our kids are in their earlier mid-teens. We have quite a few also in their older teens. So they've been in the system a long time. They're very system savvy. They have extensive amounts of trauma. So not only the trauma that brought them into the child welfare system in the initial space, but also the trauma of being removed from their caregiver and then the additional trauma of going from home to home to home. So those are our kids. These are the hard kids. They, um, a lot of them come with some special needs, whether physical, emotional, or behavioral special needs that may or may not have been created through systemic involvement. Um, a lot of them have had multiple placements in multiple schools. Um, and many of our kids have really high acuity needs. So they've been kids who have gone into residential care and then come back down into a foster placement. So they've been bounced around a lot. These are the toughest of the tough kids. And so what are some of the services you provide for those kids who are bouncing around in the system, who feel like they have to self-advocate for themselves, who uh, feel like, well, I don't think people really want me at all? Now, they definitely self-advocate, but we provide a service where we uh, match them with a youth connection advocate, and that advocate actually helps advocate as well. They get to know that youth in great detail. They know a lot about them. They know a lot about their history, and they do everything possible to find any kind of network support that they can so that those, so that those children always have a connected adult and hopefully a long-term legal permanency placement. And I know that, you know, we have wonderful youth advocates, and I know you're going to talk to one of them in a bit. And yeah. she can really describe in vivid detail the amazing work that they do on the ground. My name is Mason Smith. I work with Raise the Future. 
as one of our Youth Connections advocates. So I work directly with the youth that we serve. Um, I have a caseload of about 19 youth between the ages of currently 9 and 20. So uh, go a little bit deeper into what you do. What is what, what does your day look like when you're working with these kids? Yeah, absolutely. Um, so there's a bunch of different components of what we do. Um, a really big part of it is just getting to know the youth who we work with and getting to connect with them because ultimately we're trying to find long-term permanent placements for them and just sort of stability because these are youth who have, you know, been in the foster care system for a really long time. They've moved from place to place. I have youth who have been in maybe one or two homes during their time in care, but also youth who have been in up to 33 homes. Oh my goodness, 33 homes. 33 homes. So there's just quite a lot of instability in their lives. And you know, when they move into a different home, they're also changing schools, um, changing, you know, who they're interacting with and stuff like that. And so along the way, a lot of those um, connections in their lives can be lost in the people who are important to them. And that's kind of where my role steps in is to help find those connections for them and help grow those connections. Because, I mean, to everybody, having those connections is so important. And right. If they're losing them, then that's, that's such a detriment to the youth. So I do visits with the youth. I get to know them really well, kind of know what's important to them. You know, we'll go out for food, go have fun, you know, whatever they want to do. And then also have these conversations about what sorts of people they want to reconnect with in their lives. Ultimately, our goal is finding lifelong permanent connections with adults, but also just supporting them and building as many relationships as they can. And that can be with family members, coaches, teachers, you know, former foster placements, anybody who might want to support that youth. And so outside of the visits with the youth, I'm also doing what we call diligent search, which is where I just run through, you know, a list of every single possible connection for this youth, any family, anybody who may be a connection. And we reach out to them in all the ways possible. How do they find you? Do you reach out to them? Because is there not a waiting list as well for for your services because the, the need is so great? Yeah, there is a really great need. And I do wish that every single kid in foster care could have these services um, just because it's so beneficial for them to have somebody whose sole focus is on finding these connections just because caseworkers work so hard and they're always doing so much um, that just having someone really dedicated to this one part of it is so beneficial. And we do have a wait list um, just based on our capacity from each county. but we just try and serve, you know, as many youth as we can because we just want to give them a chance. That was Mason Smith and Lucinda Whalen Connolly with Raise the Future. And that's this week's episode of Real Talk with Denver 7 and CPR News. Every week we'll be having a real talk on issues that impact Coloradans who are often overlooked. You can find all of our shows on denver7.com slash realtalk or at cpr.org slash realtalk. Have a great day.